are still in Romans chapter 12, and what we're really focusing on each week is Romans 12.2, and then basically this picture of what a transformed life looks like. 12.2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect well, and today we're going to look at, it, at Romans 12, 2, or 12, 12 that says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Three pretty powerful statements for one small verse. But again, this whole series is, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is what your life should look like. This is what your transformed life should look like. 11 years ago, almost to the date, my family packed up in Topeka, Kansas, and we moved to California. Now, granted, we moved to Bakersfield, California. We thought we were moving to California. We didn't know the difference, but whatever the case, when you are in Topeka, Kansas, California is a strange word to people. And when we said, we're moving to California, they're like, you're doing what? What is wrong with you? What's wrong with this beautiful Midwestern place? And we kind of thought the same thing. We, we, we were excited because basically for... Eight, almost nine years, I had been praying, Lisa had been praying about me becoming a full-time pastor. And I finally got an opportunity. Someone offered me a job, surprise, surprise, right, in Bakersfield, California. And so we, here we are, we packed up our family. Our daughter, Gracie, our oldest, she just graduated high school. She was staying in, in Kansas for the summer. And then the other four, Grant was in eighth grade all the way down to Max that was going into first grade. I mean, we, we're talking, our kids were little. We packed up everything we owned. And, and just comprehend this for a little. We packed up everything we owned. We sold our house and we're moving to California. And there's somewhere along the way, we started to realize we don't have a house to go back to. <laughs> we're not 100% sure where we're going. We, we didn't even know what the house looked like we were going to. The church had found it for us. I, I hadn't even signed a contract with the church saying, you're making this amount of money. We just loaded up the family and moved. And so here we go. We have this, well, this is exciting, right? We're telling our kids this is an adventure. For the last week, we celebrate 4th of July in Kansas where you have real fireworks blowing up and it was fun. Every time we said goodbye to another family member, we cried and cried. Finally, that morning, we get in the car and we take off. We've got this big green Suburban loaded up. We've got our other car towing behind it, loaded up with more stuff. There's a truck somewhere in the road with all the rest of our stuff. And we get to Breckenridge, Colorado. That's our first stop. Now, I'm ashamed to say our kids at that point had never seen mountains. The first time they saw the mountains, you would have thought they went to Disneyland. They're like, wow, look at this. So we stayed in Breckenridge. We hiked and we, we went up the, the gondola to the top and it was amazing. What a great first night in, in uh, Colorado. The next day we, we get up and we get back in the car and we start driving. And then God called again. And, <laughs> and so we start driving the next day in our next stop. And I just plan these randomly, people. I, I'm just looking at the map and figuring out. So I, the next stop was Green River, Utah. And if you're ever in your mind thinking, man, I want to go to Green River, Utah, no. Say no, people. Don't go to Green River, okay? So, so we get to Green River. We pull into town. We stop at the hotel that I got, and we go into the hotel to kind of put our stuff in there and get situated. And my wife has 
has much better eyes than I do for some reason. She sees dirt where I don't see dirt. She sees things where I don't see things. And she found hair on the mat or on the, the bed covers and a wadded up tissue in there. It's like, oh, it's no big deal. And she was like, we're sleeping in the car tonight. I'm not staying in this place. The kids were terrified of the room. Eventually, someone came in, cleaned it. But it got things off to kind of a rough start. And we were tired. We've already been traveling for two days. We're starting to get tired. And somewhere in the, the mix of our hotel problems and driving to find a restaurant, which there are not many restaurants worth eating at in Green River, we finally find a place that's overlooking the Green River. And literally, the river is green. I don't know why, but it's green. We finally find this restaurant. We go in and we sit down and, and we start kind of talking about, wow, we don't have a home to go back to. We're not quite sure where we're going. And Lisa doesn't normally cry, but she broke down crying. Kids started crying. And, and I'm not talking, I'm talking we're sobbing now. And shocking, I started crying too. And so we're all bawling and crying at the table, sobbing. When the waitress comes up and says, can I get you guys something to drink? And we're all sobbing. Oh no, just come back, come back. But here we are in this place. And and what's interesting is we had hoped for this. We'd been praying about this opportunity to move to California. And and even though we were so sad and so scared, even in that moment, I still had this hope, this, this joyful hope of what was to come. God was giving us what we'd prayed for, what we'd hoped for. And, And really, so many of us, we can look at our lives and it can... We have a lot of Green River moments, don't we? Something we go back to in our family. Remember Green River. There's that moment where it's like, what is happening? But even in the midst of that, as Paul is saying in Romans 12, 12, be joyful in hope, patient in Green River or in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Now, Paul writes to lots of different churches, 13 of them. And so he's writing to all these different churches, and a lot of stuff he writes is very similar to what he writes to the other churches. And so if you go to Thessalonians, where he's writing to the church in Thessalonica, he writes a very similar statement as we find in Romans. He says, always be joyful, never stop praying, and be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. In other words, if you are a follower of Jesus, what should your life look like? Well, you should be joyful and hope. You should be patient in difficult times. And no matter what the circumstances is, man, never stop praying. Be faithful in prayer. And so we begin with this idea of a joyful hope. As followers of Jesus, we should have a joyful hope. And hope is a feeling. It's an expectation. It's an That's what it is. And this is how it's defined. Hope is an optimistic state of mind that is based on an expectation of positive outcomes. It's written right up there just so you can see it. But this optimistic state of mind, it's a positive outlook on tomorrow. And so as followers of Jesus, we should have a joyful hope of our near future. Now, I get it. None of you are Kansas Jayhawk fans, and that makes me sad. But the University of Kansas is about 30 minutes from where I grew up. 
I was a huge Kansas Jayhawk basketball team, and I'm 51 years old, and three times in my lifetime, the Kansas Jayhawks basketball team has won the national championship. 1988, 2008, in 2022. In other words, we are the national champions, in case you're wondering. And so I'm a huge fan. And this year, we obviously made it to the national championship game. Nobody in Carlsbad could have cared less. But I did, okay? I did. And I'm excited about the game. But it, it corresponded with our homeless night, which is good. I'm the pastor of the church. I got to go to the homeless outreach, right? But I really wanted to watch the game. And so I've got this anxiousness. Now, I'm going to tell you, this year, in past years, you, man, I didn't have much hope, right? They would make it to the Final Four and lose. They'd lose in the first round. You know, 51 years, they've only won it three times. So you have a lot of disappointment there. And this time, they make it to the finals. I think they can beat North Carolina, no problem. I'm thinking... We're going to win the national championship again. There's this joyful hope. So even going to the homeless ministry, I'm not worried. I'll make it home for the second half. I'll just watch the celebration. And so here we are at the homeless ministry. We're loving on people, passing out coffee. And every time we walked by a bar or a restaurant, I was looking in the window, trying to see the score. And, and at first it was kind of close. And then we went around another building. And there's a Domino's pizza. I'll never forget that stupid Domino's pizza. There's a TV. And we're down by 18 points. I was like, what happened? I was just saw that bar window to this window. And now we're losing. But I was devastated. You can ask the people I was walking around with. I was so sad. Because I had all this hope that we're going to win the national championship. And it was just gone. But by the time we got in the car to drive back to the church, it was halftime. And we were losing by 15 points. And they kept telling everyone on the radio that, hey, no team has ever come back from a 15-point deficit in a national championship game. And my hope went, like that. I still had a little bit of hope. And we wrapped things up. I got in the car, and I started driving home. I couldn't find the game. When I finally find it, we were only down by 12 points. I get home. I run into the house, throw on the TV. Lisa was watching some girly thing. I don't know what she was watching, but we need the game on. And everyone goes to bed in my house. No one else cares, just like you guys. And I turn it on, and we're only down by five. And guess what happened to my hope? It was like, whoom. And so there, I watched the second half. They have the biggest comeback in NCAA history, and they win the national championship. And I'm literally running around my house going, we're national champions. And everyone's going, we're in bed. Shut up. But we won. We won, and now, silly illustration, I mainly just wanted to point out that the Kansas Jayhawks are the national champions right now, but I also wanted to point out how, how much like life is that. We have this hope, right, and we're excited about it, and then something happens, and we go, oh, we're going to lose now, right? Now it's, it's over now. We, we go from this to that, and, and if we apply it to life, we can go, man, how often do we look at the near future and it makes us joyful, makes us excited, it makes us happy? Or how many of us look at the near future and go, it just makes us sad? It makes us angry and even makes us afraid or depressed or anxious. It's, it's kind of like the glass is half empty or half full. You guys all know that, right? And most of you right now, you probably know in your mind, oh, I'm already a half full guy. 
or I'm a half-empty guy. We always talk about that some people are just more naturally that way. And I do. I know people that if you filled that glass half full and you showed them, so what is it, half full or half empty, they're going to go, that's about to be out. There's nothing in there. There's no water in that glass. Or it could be almost full and that same person would go, there's probably a hole in the bottom of that glass. It's all going to leak out. Or it's, it's not all the way full. Look, there's, there's still room at the, the... I mean, you know those people, right? And then there's the other people. It's half full for sure. Even if there's just a little bit in the bottom, they're going, you know what? We can work with that. You know, I know there's just a little. We can work with that little bit. And, and so you, you know both sides of that, right? And we all know those, those people or we are those people, right? But here's the bottom line. How we view the glass is our choice. It's our choice. We can look at that glass and we can go, you know what? That is full. That is, that is half full. And, and I'm going to look at it in a really good way and I'm going to go. Or, or you have the choice to go, oh, man, it's half empty already. And it's, a, it, it's our choice. And remember, this verse starts off with, you don't conform to the pattern of the world, but you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. We can renew our mind. We can change the way we think and we can change the way we view tomorrow. If, if we're looking at tomorrow, this is terrible, terrible, terrible. Or you can go, you know what? Tomorrow's going to be good. There are good things ahead. And as followers of Jesus, what Paul is saying is we should have a joyful and positive, positive outlook on tomorrow, on the future. That's what Paul is telling us here. Now, we go back to the Old Testament, talking about that glass half empty and, and half full. You go back to the, the Old Testament, you've got the Israelite people. They were slaves, 400 years, terrible, horrible time. But God sends Moses, he sets them free through all these miracles. He takes this entire nation of people and puts them right on the edge of the promised land, the land God promised them. And they get on the edge of the promised land and they take 12 spies and they send them into the land. And for 40 days, those 12 spies check out the land. Now they come back, and this is their report. It says, we entered the land, and sent, you sent us to explore. And it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. They had it with them. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants. And so they go for, man, it is so great, people. But guess what? The glass is actually almost empty because every town is fortified and there are giants there. There is no chance. And so these, these people, these tw 10 spies are telling everybody this, you know, it's good, but we actually can't go there. And then Caleb and Joshua, two of the spies... They speak up and go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. And says, but Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. No, 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 let us go at once to take the land. He said, we can certainly conquer it. You see, Joshua and Caleb had that glass half full attitude. They're like, wait a minute, people, God has done this and this and this and this. And he's brought us here. And now you're going to say, oh. And you know what the people did? This, I find this so interesting. You've got this nation of people that have watched the plagues, that have watched God part a sea and make it dry ground. They, they've, they've come all the way to the promised land. And how do they respond? Why couldn't we just still be slaves? We had it good back there. 
Well, you know, God could have just killed us there, been easier than coming out here. I mean, they go straight from hopeful to just, just, just kill us here. I mean, it, it, it goes that fast. And then the ten spies literally said this when they were in the land. It said, when we saw the giants, we felt like grasshoppers. We were so small and insignificant. We didn't have a chance against them. And so that's what they're telling the people. That's their view. And yet they have this God that they've watched. <laughs> What's interesting is Caleb and Joshua, the two spies, they were the only two of the 12 spies that actually got to go into the promised land 40 years later. Because the people said, God, we don't trust you with this. We can't do it. So God said, fine, you stay here for another 40 years. Let me raise up a new generation of people. But Joshua and Caleb, they got to go in to the promised land. And, and then Caleb, he was a descendant of Judah. And then we know the line of Judah comes all the way through. And somewhere in there, you end up with David. Remember David? He eventually was King David, but before that, David was just the shepherd. And David was in a very similar situation as Caleb and Joshua. He showed up and here the Israelite army is about to fight the Philistines, but there's a giant out there. His name's Goliath. And guess what? They were terrified of Goliath. No one would fight Goliath. And here comes this boy, David, who's a descendant of Caleb. And he walks up and he goes, why is no one fighting him? I'll fight him. And we know the story. David kills Goliath. You see, Caleb hoped in God. David hoped in God. And the question is, where is our hope? Is our hope in God? Or is our hope in us? And as followers of Jesus, we're to have a joyful and positive outlook, out, <laughs> outlook for the future. Because we do have God. And then Paul says we're joyful in hope. And patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. He, he tells the church in Thessalonica, always be joyful, never stop praying, and be thankful in all circumstances. Now, I don't necessarily like to hear that we should be faithful in affliction, that we should be you know, thankful even when bad things are happening, but... As transformed followers of Jesus, we are to be joyful even in difficult times. And we all go through difficult times. There's money, usually the lack of it, right? Work, there's issues at work. Maybe we lose our job. There's family troubles. There's divorces. There's health. Our health can go bad and we go through these difficult times. And I'm not making light of any of those and I don't think Paul is either. Uh, but when you really read through the New Testament, you've got Jesus, you've got Paul, you have all the disciples. They went through more. Uh, most likely they went through much more than we are going through. And again, it doesn't make it any better. Uh, but the world we live in is always changing, isn't it? And change is terrifying. Uh, there's always change in the government, in the laws, and all the things. And when things change, we become Afraid or angry or upset. And we do live in a world that seems crazy. But, but I would also say that every generation before us thought, man, our world's as crazy as it can get. The next generation, our world's as crazy as it can get. I don't know if it's just our perspective or what it is, but, but we live in a world that, yeah, 
the laws of our world, the government of our world, of our country, doesn't always support our Christian views, obviously. But think about this. In the first century, Christians were crucified, burned, thrown to wild animals simply for proclaiming the name of Christ. This was a period of immense persecution. And if Christians wanted to survive, they had to hide out from the governing authorities. And so for over 200 years, pushing almost 300 years, the early church, they were persecuted. They had to hide from the government. They, 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 they lived a completely different life, yet the church exploded and grew during that time. And, and so think about this early church, what they're going through. We got crucified, burned, thrown to wild animals. And what does Paul write in the midst of that? Paul says, be thankful in all circumstances. Patience in affliction. You see, in our modern world, we have leaders, a government that seems to be against our Christian views. But God never promised that the world would be for us. In fact, what he says in Romans 12, 2 is, do not conform to the world, but be transformed. Don't conform, but be transformed. Jesus says in John 16, he says about having troubles, he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Uh, that's our joyful hope, right? He's overcome the world. So in the midst of whatever circumstance we are in, we can have peace, we can be thankful, we can be patient, we can be joyful. Why? Because Jesus has already overcome. We have the promise of eternal life. We have the promise of salvation. And here's the, the truth of it. Being angry at someone or at a group of people or because they made this law or they did this, if we're angry at them, it won't change their hearts. It'll probably change our hearts. But here's the real truth, is Jesus didn't come to earth to change the law. He didn't come to earth to change the governments. Jesus came to earth to change our hearts so that we would be transformed, that we would be transformed followers of Jesus. And here's the thing, when we are angry, when we're fearful, when we're full of anxiety about the future, guess what? We miss out on living today, and that's not who we are called to be. We're called to be patient and thankful and joyful and have peace. We all go through difficult times, and I am not making light of that in any way. We all experience, and it is, it's real. And Here's the thing, when you go through difficult times, there are things you can control, and there's things you can't control. What you can control is your attitude and your actions. Outside of that, that's, it's outside your control. So you can control your attitude and your actions, right? It, if you can't control it, then you let it go. Because you can't do anything about it. You can't change it. Now, you can let it go, and what I mean by letting it go is you can write it down, you can say it out, and then give it to God. It's called prayer. I can't control this. I can control my attitude and my actions, and sometimes we need to even be praying about that. But everything else, we say, God, cheers. I'm going to have peace because I just gave it to God. And that's the last thing that Paul talks about. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. 
the way he says it to the church in Thessalonica, always be joyful, never stop praying. Sometimes as followers of Jesus and sometimes as a pastor, sometimes we forget about the power of prayer. And for the past, I don't know, 25 years, it's actually only two years, but it seems like 25, I've been trying to write a book. And I, I can say it, but man, I can't write it. And so I'm struggling, and, and, and Eva Shaw is helping me, and, and, and I'm writing, and then I'm crumpling up and throwing away. I think I've started over, what, Eva, three or four times. I, I don't know. But the other day, she goes, hey, Chris, are you praying about it? Huh. That's a novel idea, Eva. <laughs> she should be a preacher, is what she should be. And so all of a sudden, I was like, no, I, actually, I really haven't prayed about it. She goes, well, pray about it. And, and so I, even as a pastor, we forget sometimes, don't we? And the other day, I'm, I'm in the upstairs of the offices over here, and I see this thing hanging on the wall, and it says, the prayer series. I mean, very few of you are here when I first came to this church. This is the very first series that I preached here back in 2017, five years ago. I preached the, a whole series on prayer. And on the back of this, this was hanging on the, in the kitchen upstairs. It's, I don't know who put it there, but this is really good stuff, people. <laughs> I mean, I was really wise back then. I'm like, wow, someone should say this again. And so I'm going to. I, I took this down, took it to my office, and it goes, pray big, bold prayers. Uh, that's the first thing. Number two, keep praying and don't give up. Write down your prayers because it's great to celebrate them and then be ready to take action. In other words, have this faith they're going to be answered. Be ready to take action on them. And here's from in Luke chapter 11, Jesus says this about prayer. And so often we don't feel this way, but this is what Jesus says. And so I tell you, Keep on asking, and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you'll find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. The picture we have here that Jesus himself is giving us is go to God's door and start doing this. And keep knocking. Not just but a big, loud knock. And we, we ask boldly. And, and, and then we keep praying, don't give up. I mean, he's telling us, keep pounding on the door. I want you to keep asking. And then I love to write down my prayers. And the only reason I say that, it's like the stack of cards I have from you guys. I love to see how God has answered prayer. And I'm the first to say, I can go back. And there's a lot of, a lot of things he hasn't answered. But oh my goodness, there's these ones that's like, wow, wow. And just like the stack of cards from you guys, we keep praying. We keep knocking. And then this action, being ready to take action, to me, that's just faith. And he's going to answer, and I am ready to go because prayer is an act of faith. That's what it is. Hebrews 11 says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for. And assurance about what we do not see. And so are we praying with confidence? Boldness for what we hope for. Are we praying with the assurance that God will hear and respond? As followers of Jesus, one of our shortcomings, and even mine in my book, sometimes we don't pray. 
And sometimes we pray, but man, they're really small. They're timid. It's almost like we're afraid to ask for something too big. Man, that's selfish. or God won't do that. But here he says, no, pray big, bold prayers. And keep praying. Keep asking. (laughs) I look back at my life, and there are so many times that God has answered prayer. Just the story of my wife and I being married today, the story of prayer is overwhelming. It's amazing. But a few years ago when I was a youth pastor up in Bakersfield, I got this opportunity to go and speak at the football camp. They had this big football camp and Fellowship of Christian Athletes, FCA, puts it on. And what they do over four weekends, they invite all these public high school football teams and their coaches to come to Hume Lake, which is this beautiful mountain cabin, beautiful lake. And they bring them up there and they practice football all weekend. For three days, they practice football. And where I came in is I got to be the speaker. So while they ate lunch, or ate, I'm sorry, ate breakfast, I would come in while they're eating, and I would have 10 minutes to tell them about being a follower of Jesus. And the, what we were trying to do as pastors and as the Fellowship of Christian Athletes is to give these kids an opportunity to hear about Jesus and an opportunity to say, yeah, I, I want to take that first step to become a follower of Jesus. And, and so that's why we're there. So on, the, on the last day, you would just give them an invitation to say, hey, if you want to take this first step, we have counselors here, we have coaches here that are willing to pray with you, and all you need to do is just stand up and, and we, will, we will talk to you from there. And that, that's all it is. Ten minutes each day, the rest of it's all football. Well, day one, we're there, and we had this, this cabin, me and my family, and I loved football camp for a million reasons, but, but also because I got to speak to the kids. But I'm sitting there on my balcony looking over what I was going to say that morning, and I'm praying. And, and about that time, this kid walks by, and he was a great big old kid, and, and I thought, man, that, that kid looks like he's a player. And I just started, started thinking, I wonder where his heart is. I wonder if he knows Jesus. And so I just started praying for that kid. And throughout the weekend, I watched him. I knew what team he was on. I watched him going through drills and and just kind of kept an eye on him. And I prayed for him that whole weekend. And on Sunday morning, the last morning, it's the morning that we get to say, hey, you want to take this first step, just stand up. I watched this kid walk by, and that morning he had this bright orange shirt on. And he's walking by, and I just started praying, God, I... My prayer is that he responds this morning. I, I just kept praying it over and over. And so I went and I, as I talked, I, I knew where he was sitting. And at the end, there's like 450 kids at this camp. I, I give this invitation if you want this first step. And almost 100 kids stood up. It was overwhelming. My first thought was, where's the kid in orange? And he was sitting. It's like, no. But we prayed with all these. It was an amazing morning. Everyone else left, including the kid in the orange shirt. And we prayed with these kids, and, and they, we gave them a counselor. We connected them with a the pastor in their area so they, they could continue to walk with Jesus. And, and as I'm leaving, I'm walking out, and the kid in the orange shirt is standing outside the building. And as I walked out, he walked straight up to me and said, Is it too late? <laughs> I said, no, it's not. And I prayed with him right there. In that moment, he took his first step 
to becoming a follower of Jesus, to having this transformed life, this, this new life, that this is the way we're supposed to live, right? Paul tells us to be faithful in prayer, to always pray. Jesus says to keep knocking because, man, there's some things we can control, our attitude, our actions, but the rest of it, we just have to give it to God and keep praying because he has already overcome I once read, you should work like it depends on you and pray like it depends on God. I think that's a pretty good way to live our lives. And as followers of Jesus, we want to live transformed lives. That's who we're called to be. We're not to conform, but to be transformed, be these new creatures so that we know the will of God. And what Paul writes in Thessalonians is always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Joyful hope for tomorrow. Never stop praying and be thankful in all circumstances. At the very beginning, I told you about our journey from Kansas to California and the adventure of Green River. And honestly, I think one of the things that happened that day at Green River with the tears and the sobbing was there had been so much poured into eight to nine years. There had been Days of hope, days of, man, good things are going to happen. Then there was days that, man, I was ready to quit. Lisa had to kick me in the rear and say, hey, you're not quitting now. I mean, there was days that I I literally would have to, I would get up at four in the morning often because I had to be at work at seven and I'd write my sermons because pastoring on the weekends and working a job 50, 60 hours during the week. And I look back at those days now and I think, oh, that just makes me want to take a nap. But, But we kept moving. We had this joyful hope for the future, yet so much of it was this time of, man, why, God, why hasn't it happened? And in the midst of that, I, had, I picked up running because I was highly stressed, and I started running, and I started running probably more than I, I should have run, but I would run to work, which was 10 miles from my house to my office in downtown Topeka, and so I'd run to work. And, and I would have to leave early in the morning, a little bit before 6 o'clock, so I could be there by 7 to run this 10 miles. And quite often, it was pitch dark when I started running. And one morning, God gave me the most beautiful picture. And I'll never forget it. Because when I took off running that morning, I was ready to quit. I, I had gotten to the point where I was like, I'm never going to be a pastor. I don't, I, I don't even know if I want to be. And as I'm running, I'm crying. I'm running down the Shungananga Trail. There was nine of my ten miles were on that trail running right along a creek. and Or call it a creek if you're in Kansas. But there's trees. It was a park. It was beautiful if you could see it. But you couldn't see it because it's pitch dark. And, and as I'm running, I'm literally just crying. And I'm angry. And I'm depressed. And I don't understand and I'm getting closer. And I don't know if you've ever been out in the pitch dark as the sun starts to rise, but you go from not being able to see any clouds to just black. And pretty soon you'll start to see the clouds turn gray. And then they'll start to turn a little bit lighter gray. And, and eventually as the sun keeps coming up, they begin to turn orange and pink. And see, I was running straight east. And so the whole run, I went from blackness the sun just 
coming up, slowly rising until I got to the very last strip on the way to work. And as I'm running down that strip, the sun is just full and shining on me. And the clouds are beautiful. And I will never, ever forget that because I totally believe God gave me that picture. Say, I know it's dark and I know it's difficult, but you have hope. You have great things in front of you. You know what's amazing is I look back on our 11 years and I go, oh, thank God we moved. Could you imagine missing out on all this? It's easy to look back. Sometimes it's tough to take that next step. But we, as followers of Christ, are called to have a joyful hope for tomorrow. And we're supposed to be patient in those dark times. And we're supposed to pray always boldly and keep praying. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, all of us are going through things. We have gone through things. And my prayer this morning, Lord, is that you would just remind us of the joyful hope we have in you. You've already overcome all of this. And so, Lord, in the midst of it, give us this hope Give us peace, give us joy, and remind us that you want to help. Remind us to give it all to you over and over. And we just pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here, and you are dismissed.